So the prophetic, that word from God that comforts, encourages and exhorts us, the prophetic word wakes up something in us. Something was already there and it comes alive. And we're talking for a few weeks about a a Graham Cook prophetic word that came at the ELA, European Leaders Advance Conference in 2019, July. And it's a prophetic word that wakes something up in us because it's a prophetic word that speaks into the fact that we've already been doing this stuff and now we've got a promise of God's blueprint strategy of how he wants to reach this region, SE18 and around the nation of the UK, all of Europe, and cause there to be outstanding communities in every town, city, region, village, right across the whole of Europe. We've got a promise from God, and promises change everything. Prophetic words change everything, because it means you're no longer having a go to see how something turns out. Now you've got a promise, you've got a guarantee. God's doing something, he's going to do something, and it's bigger than we think. And so the prophetic word comes to us, And it tells us about what God's going to do. And it also tells us how we're going to respond to God. And so that prophetic word from Graham Cook is available. If you weren't here last week, printouts here, you can grab one. And we're taking it very, very seriously because it's awoken something in us of God's design, of God's blueprint, of God's purposes. And it wakes up in us a response to God that says, we want to do it your way. And if it's the, we want to emphasize what you're emphasizing and we want to build it the way you want to build it and we want to be the people that you want us to be. We're doing it your way. We're tired of trying our own ways. We're, try, we're tired of trying to change the world through man's wisdom, philosophy and resources. We've had enough. <laughs> and so we're saying we've come to the end of ourselves, God, and we've come to the beginning of you. And so... The prophetic word, like 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says to Timothy, fight according to the promises that have been made about you. And so now we decide we're going to fight according to what God has said and how God wants it to be. Part of the prophetic word that's incredibly um, impactful is that God wants to bring to us as a church and to churches and to churches all over Europe what Graham Cook describes as a quickening spirit. It's a, in other words, it's a Holy Spirit acceleration. And he talks about that what took years will take months and what took months will take days and what take days will take hours that God wants to quicken things up. But he says, I will not pour in a quickening spirit. I will not pour in acceleration into cultures that are preoccupied with a visitation mentality. God is saying, I won't do that. I want you to overflow to the area and I want you to impact this region and the regions beyond. But he's saying, I will not, I will not pour it out into a church that's preoccupied with the idea that God visits and God goes away. 
So I want to read, and the, we, we got together in the, the school on Thursday, a whole bunch of us, and we listened to the audio, and so much of the audio is in the tone of voice. It's interesting that when we read the Gospels, we import onto Jesus a tone of voice where Jesus is just about ticked off with us and about to lose it. We have this idea of an angry Jesus. We, we, we don't have an idea of one who is actually... Yeah, he's straight and he's going to tell us the truth, but he says it with a tenderness and a focus and a love that that causes his kindness to change our minds. So there's a part of the prophetic word where Graham Cook says this from God. I I can no longer endure the passive waiting for something to happen. I have reached the end of my patience with learned helplessness. My kingdom is a kingdom of habitation, of abiding, of dwelling, of staying, of remaining. So I want to unpack what does it mean to have a visitation mindset and what does it mean to have a habitation mindset. Jesus says in Matthew 28 and verse 20, when he's He's risen, he's appearing to people, he's resurrected, and he's commissioning people to go into all the earth and to make disciples of all nations and teaching all the people what he has been teaching them. And he says this in Matthew 28 and verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And surely I'm with you always. He doesn't say, and surely I'm with you um, sometimes, and surely you'll have seasons of special visitation where you'll know that I'm with you, and then other times you'll have to get on with it on your own, independent from me. He says, no, I'm with you always. And so I want to ask the question, why would we even accommodate a mindset that says God visits and God goes away? The scriptures are absolutely full of this reality of God being with his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6, we read in the Old Testament that God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So even in the Old Testament, God is saying, I'm going to be with my people. I'm going to remember my promises. I'm going to be with you. And then that same um, promise is repeated to Joshua as they go into the land in Joshua 1, when it says in verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you can see Jesus's great commission echoes that same um, commissioning in Deuteronomy and Joshua. As you go, as people to overflow, know that I am with you. And then in Romans 28 and verse 8, Romans 28 and verse 8, Yeah, Romans, yeah, Romans, Romans, there's no 28, is there? There's, there's a, there's a, I'm just thinking, 
there's no Romans 28. There's a Romans 8. There's a Romans 8 and there's a verse 38. No wonder I'm scanning and going, going on and on and on and on and on through, through everybody's Bible. Where's... <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> Let's read the whole thing from 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we'll look at other verses later, but we see in Scripture it's again and again and again and again and again this reality that God is with us. That God will never leave us. And even in the Old Testament, there's promises to specific people at specific times that God's going to be with them for specific tasks. But in the New Testament, it goes even greater, this sense of habitation, which we'll unpack as we go through. So why do we think God sometimes goes away and sometimes visits? Because it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything of the whole of our Christian life if we think that God is with us on some days and not with us on other days. See, there are days and there are moments when we experience the tangible manifest presence of God. There was a moment in the worship where a lot of us were picking up I'm experiencing now the manifest presence of God. There was a moment when there was a sweetness in our experience of him. There are moments when we feel him. But he was already there before the encounter with the tangible manifest presence. It wasn't that we came into the meeting and then we hit a certain moment in the worship and then he appeared... He was already here, but he manifest and became tangible in that moment. And then there are days when we don't feel him at all. We might do the same things. We wake up, we pray, we, we engage with God, we read the Bible, and we don't experience him in a tangible way. And then we wrongly conclude there are moments when he visited us and there were moments when, we, when he withdrew from us. And then we believe that the time when he visited us was because we did certain things in a certain way and certain practices. And so we try to conjure and make him visit us again. See, there are days when we just don't feel it. But if we conclude that he's not with us on those days, we can live our life feeling up and down and in and out. When the days we feel we've tangibly experienced him, we feel we're in his favour and maybe we can overflow. In the days when we don't feel it, we can feel we've lost his favour And we're just about going to survive. See, a preoccupation with the idea of visitation fills our mindset always with an attitude that we lack 
something. When we're always thinking that God appears and then disappears or visits and then doesn't visit, our mind becomes dominated by the idea that I cannot do the greater works or the things that Jesus said because I lack something. Namely, I lack God. We can be then preoccupied with what we are not, with our weaknesses. We can get gripped by performance. I've got to do certain things in a certain way so that I might have him visit me. And then if we fail in thought, word or deed, we are then feeling we are now outside and now through performance, maybe I can get back in and be on the inside. It leaves us waiting passively for God to turn up. We'll unpack, it changes the way we pray. Changes prayers like, be with me today, to prayers like, cause me to be consciously aware that you are with me today, wherever I go. It can leave us feeling helpless. And overwhelmed. It can leave us feeling, will you just visit me and rescue me out of this? And so a habitation mindset or a mindset that says God is with me all the time means that we can have a vibrant living relationship with God himself with his presence that is not dependent upon having a feeling and having an emotion. In other words, an attitude that says he is with me all the time, whether I feel it or not, is only dependent upon a surrender and a submission to what the Bible says is, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm going to be with you to the ends of the age. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's a decision to say, the Bible says it, he says he'll never leave me. He said he'll never leave me, and that's enough for me. That's enough for me, and that we can wake up in the morning... And we're not trying to get to a place of visitation. We're waking up with an awareness that we are a habitation already. And we're engaging in all the things we do with Holy Spirit already present and not hoping that he might become present. It's enough that he said it. I have his presence right now. If you're a believer in you, whether you feel it, or don't feel it. So there are great and amazing days when we feel it and we experience it, and there are great and amazing days when we have no tangible sense of his presence apart from the simple trust, 
I know he is with me. I know he is in me. And so the believer then is preoccupied and focused upon the promise of God to never leave and never to forsake and always to be with us and is not leaning upon an emotion or a feeling or their own understanding or conclusion. He's with me all the time. God said he would be with me. I believe he is with me. That settles it. He is with me. God said he'd be here with me in every situation and every circumstance. He said he would be here with me in the joyful times. He said he is here with me in the difficult times. He said he is here with me whispering wisdom and instruction when I'm in the pit and explaining to me how to climb out. He's with me in every season, in every circumstance, in every problem, in every moment of joy. He is with me. He's here Because he said he would be. He said he would be. And that's a huge part of understanding that he is here with me, is to understand what Jesus has achieved through his life and death and resurrection. So the Old Testament, the old arrangement, the old deal, was that God would meet with special people at special times for special pieces of work. So Beziel was anointed with the Holy Spirit to build, to build the tabernacle. It was a special task in a special moment. They built the tabernacle. Remember the tent of meeting that would go with them wherever they went. And then Solomon, David's son, built the temple of God. And it was a place where God met with his people through priests. In a sense, you can't limit God to a particular geography, to a particular place or a particular place behind the curtain. He's bigger than that. But the temple, the tabernacle, was the only place where people really generally had any interaction with God. And it was only really the priests going into the Holy of Holies. And in that sense, the old deal, the old covenant, the pre-Jesus, it's a visitation covenant. It's not a habitation covenant in that sense. God is with them in a special geographical place. And then just on special people, special occasions, sometimes the Holy Spirit would fall and a whole bunch of people would prophesy. It was a visitation, it was a visitation covenant period of time. Jesus brings in a brand new deal that becomes a habitation deal. So if you turn to John chapter 2 and verse 19. Right, so get it? that In the Old Testament, Solomon built the temple... The temple's the place, the physical location where God and God meets with people. Yeah, so it's the priests went in. And then in John chapter 2 and verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And I will raise it again in three days. They think he's looking at 
the physical temple. Then they replied, it took 46 years to build this temple, physical temple, where we understand God meets with people. And you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And to get this, this is, this is so deep and beautiful and profound. Special people, special occasions, Old Testament, special location, the temple, only the priests go into the Holy of Holies. Jesus is saying, he is the temple. Paul's favourite phrase is in Christ. If anyone's in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you're a believer, you are in Christ. And who is Christ? He's the temple. In other words, we live our whole life in the Holy of Holies. Can't be separated from the love of God. Why? Because we're in Christ who is the temple. So we live our whole lives inside the very place of encounter. Whether we realise it or don't realise it, that's where we live. Christ is the temple and we are in Christ so we in effect have an uninterrupted communion with God all day and all night 24-7 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 Where do I live? I live in the temple. And then, in verse 19, when Paul is talking about the motivation for purity and holiness, he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? I'm in Christ... I'm, in, I'm living my life inside the very temple, the place where God and man can meet in Christ. And Holy Spirit says, you are my temple. Temple, a dwelling place, a place where God comes to meet with people is inside the believer. So we are temples of the presence of God. We're where God is. God's not restricted to a box, a time or a special place. He's inside the believer. Yeah. 
1 Peter 2.5. 1 Peter 2.5. Can you see why he doesn't want to bring a quickening spirit into a mindset of, of visitation? 1 Peter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, so we're, we're living stones individually in Christ in the temple, individually temples of the Holy Spirit, but then God says, you're living stones and you're being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the church is not, the church is not a place where you go to find the presence of God. You're in Christ, you've got the presence of God all the time. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit, so you're not coming to church to encounter the presence of God like you're missing something and lack something. When you come to church, when you come and gather, Peter is saying, is that we join all of our individual experiences and encounters of being in the temple and living in the temple and we bring it all together and share and join and connect our collective experience of God. So visitation means I lack something, I'm empty, I need something, I'm dry, I'm coming to church in the hope and expectation maybe God would meet with me. Habitation is, I'm full. I'm in Christ. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm bringing that to strengthen, encourage, pour out, to build up the body, to encourage one another, to bring what I've got to one another, to share with one another. So everything you and I need to be a fruitful, overflowing believer is found in the reality that God is already with us personally. It's trusting that God is with us through every single thing that we face. And if you, if you live an... Say there are two ways to live your life. You can be a motorboat... Or you can be a sailing ship. A speedboat carries with it its own engine and it isn't dependent on anything else apart from fuel and whatever. But a sailboat is completely dependent upon catching the wind to go anywhere. So our part then, God is with me, God is with you, nothing can separate us but there's part of our responsibility of setting our, our sails to catch the wind that's already flowing. And then when we acknowledge and recognise and simply believe it because he says it, it's like our sails get filled with a gust of Holy Spirit capacity and strength. It's like in Romans 6 where Paul starts off saying, 
actually you've already, your, your old man is already dead, you've died to sin, and now you're dead to sin but alive to righteousness. And then he says you need to consider it, reckon it, and account it to be true. And it's like this can all be true, but it becomes experiential overflow as we tangibly place our trust in the reality he is with me i acknowledge it i recognize it i believe it you are with me that's why it talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind see it's like we can walk into life into our family into our workplace and we can walk into a idea of i lack I need a visitation. I've got nothing to give. Or we can walk in and say, you know what? I've got so much, it's overflowing. I've got the wisdom of God living in me. I've got solutions inside me. I've got ideas. I've got grace. I've got compassion. I've got love. I've got faithfulness. It's all in me. It's all in me already. Oh, watch out, world. This reality is about to overflow and transform everywhere I go. It's about to change my family. It's about to change my neighbourhood. It's about to change my workplace. It's about to change the community. Because he's in me and he's coming out. He's in me as he's coming out. Can you feel that? Actually, I'm starting to catch the wind. Or I can walk around and lack. I'm weak. I'm not full. If only I'd got to that conference. If only, if only, if only that person had prayed for me. They prayed for my friend and it changed them. But he missed me. She missed me. And now I lack... Maybe it's going to come round again and I might be able to meet with the anointed person with power for the hour. But until then, I'll just be a worm. Um, or maybe God will meet me. Maybe God will meet me. Or I'm already in the temple. I am a temple. It's that mindset that catches the wind. There's a never going to be a day when he's not present with you thinking that doesn't make it true you think it because it is true that's the whole argument of Romans 6 you're dead to sin you're alive to Christ you're not trying to make something true you're thinking it acknowledging it reckoning on it accounting it because it is true because the Bible says it is true I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you Thinking certain things doesn't make them true. We think them because they are true. In Ephesians it says, go on being filled. Go on being filled. Romans 15 talks about choosing to abide in the love of God. We're not passive. We can make choices. We can align ourselves. We can catch the wind. Thinking in line with what God says is true is how we cultivate big, strong, full, powerful thoughts. And a habitation mindset is what leads to expectation and overflow. And Tim was saying earlier on, and the prophetic word says it, that the starting point is the Holy Spirit working inside the territory of the individual believer until the individual believer becomes like Abraham in Romans 4, fully persuaded and fully convinced that God is able to do what he says, that God is able to bring dead things alive, 
that God is able to make something out of nothing. And he works in the inner man or woman. He works in the territory of the heart to convince and to persuade and to draw our attention to what is true. To bring us to a place of surrendered, obedient trust where we said, you said it, I believe it, that settles it. And that's where he's bringing us and he whispers with kindness and he draws us with compassion. He awakens in us a response of, God, disciple me, tutor me, train me, apprentice me, help me to understand that you're always with me. Change my mindset, God, over steady steps and progress, away from any visitation mindset that I've got. Help me to see that it's not a preoccupation with my lack my weakness or my performance or what I'm not. It's a preoccupation with who I have and who is with me. And then out of the expectation birthed in rest, we overflow, yes, through acts of faith and yes, through moments of courage, but we overflow because we're aware of the one who is in us rather than our lack and incapacity to change things. So when we start to believe, actually God is in me. I'm full, I'm strong, I'm big. And then when we're faced with the sick and the sicknesses around us, and then when we're faced with the chaos and the brokenness, and we're faced with the problems and the difficulties of our area, we're so aware of, he's with me, wisdom is in me, we start to think, oh, God, what are you thinking about stuff that goes on in our community? God, what are you thinking about landlords and injustice what are you thinking about poverty and brokenness i'm connected to you and this prophetic word goes on about thinking from the perspective of the mind of christ thinking god's thoughts out of the place of rest and suddenly as our mind gets renewed and transformed when we're faced with the impossible situation in front of us suddenly our logic changes from being overwhelmed by our sense of lack and weakness to an awareness of who is in us to the point when we think, do you know what, anything could happen right now and all it would take is, I know Jesus, he can heal, can I pray for you? It unlocks something, it's come out of rest. In Graham Cook's prophetic word, there's really nothing new I like it. We're not coming and saying, got a special new idea. What we're hearing, though, is the urgency of God. We're hearing the seriousness of God. We're hearing about his intention to do what he says he's going to do. And our response to him is, God, I'll adjust everything to you. Everything. I'll change how I see myself. I'll change how I see my circumstances. I'll change the way I speak. I'll change the way I reason and conclude in response to your your kind wisdom that leads me to repent. It's that decision. I'm adjusting everything to you. Yes, so God, we thank you that you've, you've decided long ago that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth 
as the waters cover the sea. And God, we thank you that your purpose is for us here to be part of that weight, the knowledge of the glory of God, to be part of that weight that covers the earth. And we thank you, God, for your, your statement that this isn't something that we can do on our own. That you said, you will discover that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nothing will be impossible for you. It is my will and it will be done on earth exactly as it works in heaven. This is something you want to do. He says as well in this prophetic word, this is the good pleasure of my will. It is a huge undertaking. Oh yeah, it's really big, but not for me. And so God, as we, 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 we choose to believe that when the prophetic comes, it awakens your purpose that you've already deposited in us and it changes the way we think, it changes the way we plan and it changes the way we expect and we choose to align with your voice and choose to line up our expectations with you that this is what you want to do, you're going to do it and we're going to do it with you. And, and God, we're going to adjust to you, change our minds in response to you, learn to think like you, walk like you. Jungle book. <laughs> <laughs> that Jesus, you only did what you saw the Father do and we're going to be attentive to your voice and attentive to the way you work and God we, we invite a, a quickening into our own areas of repentance God and that where we know God that negativity has held us back or skepticism has held us back or disappointment has held us back or discouragement has held us back come Holy Spirit and teach us a better way to think teach us another way to think God that we choose to lay down our stuff as you send the prophetic word we choose to lay down the things that hold us back our frustration our anger our irritation anything that prevents us from walking in the pleasure and the easiness of abiding and being with you God yeah and so quicken it up God And I just want to land with this, is there's a wonderful emphasis in the prophetic word that there's obviously our part and God's part, but there's something about him saying, I'm going to teach you how to think, and I'm going to teach you how to see, and I'm going to teach you how to reason. And I want to emphasize that as we land, because sometimes we can take a prophetic word and all we can take away is, well, I've got to really try much harder now. And I don't want to leave us with that. I believe there is something about understanding Christ with us, Holy Spirit in us, that we are, that in the presence we behold his glory and we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. And he teaches us how to think, how to speak, how to reason. He says in this prophetic word, I am going to war against negativity. That, and then he said, whose side do you want to be on? And I believe that, that actually as we make our priority to 
recognise he's always with me. He's going to be speeding things up in our thinking, our mindsets and our attitudes that I just see him say repentance is going to be a lot easier than we've ever thought it could possibly be. And he's going to teach us how to think. In a, in, he's going to speed up. It's not going to be hard to change our mind in response to him being with us. And I think there's something about us learning to abide in the place of the outcome has been promised. My part is to just walk with this wonderful, easy, light yoke with him. And in the presence of God, as I'm in the Bible, as I'm praying, as I'm with people, and my mind is going to be changed and I'm going to repent of things that have dogged me or dogged you for decades. And it's going to drop off out of a place of resting and trusting and abiding and enjoying and pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. God just says that there's something about pleasure and delight that's going to make this so easy. That God says it's not going to be a heavy thing where we now get back on the treadmill and we're all serious. It's actually going to be the lightness that comes out of enjoyment and pleasure and delight. That God says there's something going to happen in the place of overwhelming delight and intimacy that's going to cause beautiful, radical transformation beyond anything that you've ever imagined. And he says it's not limited to personality types. And he says the introvert and the timid are going to be surprised by the noise of the overflow that's coming out of you. That the person who thought, I have no voice, is going to find themselves with a voice that's a lot louder than the voice you ever imagined that God had put in you. And he's saying it's going to come out of the ease the ease of trusting, delight and relationship. That's where we're going. That's how we're doing it. That's how it's going to happen. So that out of ease and delight comes overflow of gigantic proportions. And God is saying, I'm shifting the seasons where we've believed that overflow was hard work. He's shifting it. And he's saying, hey guys, you know how hard you've tried to do Love Plumstead. And you grit your teeth and you've tried to love your workplace, your community. You know how hard you've tried. And he's saying it's because you tried to do it without an awareness of fullness and abundance. And he's saying, I'm shifting the season in this time. So everything we do is going to come out of fullness, not lack. I think even our evangelism has been rooted in the idea we lack something and God says I'm breaking off us a preoccupation with lack is I'm breaking off the idea that if we had a certain type and gift of people or if I was a certain personality then I would do it he's breaking that off and he's saying let the weak say I am strong and Paul Paul says my grace is made manifest in where? Your strength? No, in your weakness. It's grace gets shown off in our incapacity. And so God is inviting us into a, a viewpoint where our mindset is no longer dominated by our lack, by our circumstances, by our personality, but by the one who is with us. And he's saying by being aware of the one who is with us, you're going to find, and I'm going to find, an easiness of overflow and an easiness of transformation and an easiness of, of, of sanctification. God is saying that for many of us, we've lived with a mindset that says transformation is our work for God. 
Salvation and forgiveness is God's work for us. And God is saying you can no more transform yourself than you could save yourself. And he's saying the only way to be transformed from one degree of glory into another degree of glory and become mature increasingly of who you are in Christ is simply by a trusting in the one who will do it on our behalf. And that's how it becomes restful. And God says, I'm igniting a fresh wave of pleasure and enjoyment of what it means to be with God and what it means to uh, um, walk with God. And he breaks off the heaviness of phrases like quiet time. And he breaks those off. And he says, actually, I'm breaking off the burdensome idea that God is a burden. And he's breaking off the idea of any sense that God is a taker. And he awakens our eyes to God as a giver and God as a generous father. And that we get to be partners with him and get to cooperate and, and pour in. And so he wakens even now in us a, a new, fresh dependence and leaning and abiding and pleasure and joy and fascination and excitement that we know God Mm. and he knows us and is with us. Mm. Amen. Amen.